So welcome back to Turning Little Stones. And today I am absolutely delighted to come down a few miles from where we are to meet Leanne. Leanne runs a little business called 60 Little Months and her experience is different and uh, I'm sure she's got so much to share with you. So Leanne, let me not put words into your mouth. You you tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, hello. Um, so like you said, I started 60 Little Months just last year, but that comes from a place of working as a community nursery nurse in health visiting teams, working in schools, spending a lot of time with families in preschools. Um, so I have a degree in children's special educational needs and inclusive education. And more recently, I've primarily worked in the early years. So I found when I was working in a children's centre, and I wanted to offer a little bit more support to families with children with additional needs, because some of those were just going through the process of being diagnosed with things, that there wasn't support out there for those people because they were just stuck in this sort of limbo place. So I decided to look for a little course and suddenly found myself doing a degree for the next three years alongside full-time work. Okay. So, yeah. you know, yeah. as you do. Easy peasy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that's kind of how that all all came about. Um, and like I say, I've worked in different capacities with different families or practitioners and different things. And then last year, after having my third little girl, I was trying to work out how you get a bit of a work-life family balance. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I have worked that out. I'm not sure that does exist, but I thought I can't well go back. Trying. Yeah, <laughs> um, I can't go back to what I was doing previously straight away, which was early years Ofsted inspections, because that's quite a full-on job that's time-consuming in a, a few days of being really full-on. I thought I can't go back to that with such a little one if my head's not properly in it. So trying to work out the logistics of everything, I then um, thought, you know what, let's draw on these years of being an infant massage instructor and a sleep consultant and giving people advice about weaning and doing support with speech and language and all different things. And let's see if I can find a way to bring all of that together and try and support families and early settings locally. I love it. And it, it's not dissimilar to where we started with Turning Little Stones. It's, it's helping families to, to have a little bit of that theory mm. in their context, to, to interpret it with their family and their family's needs, isn't it? So, yeah, so today we're going to be, I suppose, focusing a little bit on something called sensory stories, yes. which, frankly, I'm fascinated by. I don't know too much about it. I know about story sacks and all that sort of thing, but, but this is a little bit different. Um, and it is for all children. It, it has a special use, a special... It's special for children with maybe some additional needs, but actually all children will benefit. So regardless of what your family looks like. Um, yeah, but I am dying to know a little bit more about this. Okay. 
So I first really started to understand about sensory stories um, when I was doing one of my modules in my degree and somebody came in and was sharing really how simple they can be. Something as simple as you're telling a story and it's sunny and they'll just hold up a piece of yellow card just as a visual for something. But then obviously when you think about your senses, it's a way of telling a story that isn't just, here's a book, listen to the words. And I absolutely love snuggling down on the sofa with a book, having a cuddle, turning the pages and sharing stories with children. I love it. But this is a way of really getting lost in a story and letting your imagination run wild and being in the story, not just telling the story. So when you do a sensory story, you don't read each word on a page. To be honest, you don't even need the book. You need to know the story and you just draw a couple of sentences or things out of the story and think about how you can tell that through using your different senses. So it might be something like you're at the beach and these characters have gone to the beach for the day. So as the parent or the practitioner sharing this story, you need to think, well, what experiences are there? Actually, do you hear seagulls? Do you smell the vinegar from the chips as somebody walks past? Do you feel the water splashing and spraying up? So you think through those different senses and what being on the beach feels like. If you want to go and tell the story on a beach, go for it, really get immersed in it. But if you're in a room trying to create what it is like on a beach, that's not going to resonate for some children, whether they are babies and toddlers who are hearing this for the first time, whether it's somebody with additional needs. Do you know what, even if you're talking about older people who are at a stage in life where they're struggling to remember things more recently, but actually those memories of spending days on the beach as a child are there. So you think about what can you see? What can you hear? What can you smell? What do you feel? What can you taste? And you draw on those things. So like I say, if you're at the beach, you've got um, a water bottle with a spray. So you spray that and the children just feel the water just falling down on their skin. And it gives a little experience of what that's like. But there, obviously we talk about the five senses, but there are two more senses that are a lot about our bodies, how they move, the pressure you need on something, balance. So again, if you're thinking about toddlers and babies and children who have got additional needs, actually how they're controlling their body is a huge part of their life and understanding the world about them. So to include those in with your first five senses that you think of in a story. So what are you talking about? Kinesthetic, vestibular senses? Yeah, exactly. So if you're reaching a story that I love to tell is um, anything from Beatrix Potter and Peter Rabbit yeah. stories yeah, yeah. because they're such old classics. It's lovely to tell those those stories through the senses. So I know when I've done that before and you're thinking about the rabbits are reaching for blackberries to pull, well, you squish a blackberry in your hand and not only does it feel funny, but you see the colour change from very dark to a much lighter purple on your skin. You can taste it. But actually, as they're reaching and stretching and they're figuring out that balance of how that 
that affects them. Yes. That's getting very much into the characters within the story, within the story there. Yeah. So it's a it's a lovely way to include lots of things. So I really love what you've said about well, your favourite was Beatrix Potter and, and great, absolutely. And we've all got our favourite. As you were talking, I was thinking about Shirley Hughes and some of her beautiful stories, yes, and poems I love. And she she includes the senses, you know, noisy noises or I do like mud, you know, whatever those things are. And our listeners will have their own favourites. So what you're saying is, for the practitioner, the carer, whoever you are, to feel free to love your own story again, your favourite story, yes. and start there. Is that, mm. is that... And a story is a brilliant place to start. If there's a book already that you love, there could be a poem that you love. It might even be just something you make up as you go or about an actual experience of wanting to go to wherever that place is and thinking through what will we experience on the way to draw that in to help the child actually make sense of the world around them. So you can start with a story or a poem or just look around you and your stories are just everywhere to get lost in. And so the book can sometimes be a constraint. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes for some children, sit still, look this way, listen to the story. It's too much. It's too much sit, be quiet and listen. That's not what stories are. Stories and characters and adventures are about exploring and getting lost in that. So actually to be able to pop the book down and just have a little idea of what those couple of pages are about and use a sentence or two to explore those senses and feel something, taste something. And actually if a child's enjoying a particular part of that story, if it is the rain falling down and you've got some card that you're shaking for the loud thunder and they're feeling the water falling, you don't need to quickly move on to the next part of the story. They can just get lost in that one place and maybe another day you come back to another bit of the story or later on after you've had a bite to eat or had a, a nap or whatever it is, if they're getting lost in that particular moment of a story, you don't want that to end. I love that. I love that. And can we just do a tiny aside to those listeners who are practitioners or or in schools, whatever reason? Um, again, story time, circle time possibly has its place. We're not we're not saying absolutely no, 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 never. But what you're saying is for children to fall in love with story, to to wallow in it. Mm that that maybe isn't as helpful as it might be. Yeah, like I say, I love just cuddling down with a book and my own girls and just getting lost in, in that book and try and do character voices and all different things. But yeah, for some children, to be in that story rather than just hear it is going to be the difference. And so as a practitioner, like you say, it's really important to know your child or your children who are in that particular group and what their needs are and what their interests are. Because for some children, they're going to have particular styles of learning or particular senses that they love and really works for them to actually do and be involved. So to just spend a little bit of time sitting and observing and knowing who that child is and how this story is going to resonate with them 
you can then tailor it to what works for that child. I know that there are sensory story resources out there. I've had a quick, quick look. Some are better than others. Um, and I know that's something that you and Six Little Months wants to get out there. Tell us what, what you might be starting with, what, what we can look out for. So quite a while ago, I actually filmed myself doing some sensory stories. And then I broke things down a little bit more as well. Because like I say, as well as using your senses to tell a story, I try and incorporate schemas as well. And we could do a whole nother podcast around. Yeah, actually, let me just break in. So this is perfect timing because we are just about to launch Delving a Little Deeper. And we will be, there's a whole a whole set on, on or, or a whole uh, audio on schemas. So, um, yeah, it's a great thing to be able to look at. So just in a, a little nutshell, schemas are kind of the way a child might learn. So for some children, they absolutely love things that spin, whether that's themselves or something else. Um, but there's just so much information and so much around schemas. So I talk a little bit in some shorts that I've done. Short videos, just a couple of minutes around each of those. Like I say, maybe things that spin, things that connect, enveloping. Lots and lots and lots of different things. Um, and then I feel myself doing some sensory stories as well. Obviously, for copyright reasons, you need them to be a certain amount of years old. So I looked back on all your classic fairy tales, stories from the Bible, old poems, Brothers Grimm, all of those classic things to use some of those um, in the stories that I was doing. But what's quite hard is doing it as a video. You're sharing this with people who you don't know and you don't know the person they're sharing it with to know what their needs are. So I talk through the story in quite a bit of detail and talk about what you might want to do. But obviously, when you're the person, whether you're a parent or a practitioner who's sharing that story, you're there with that small group or that one person looking at what they're enjoying, what they're doing and what you do next. So I've put these videos together, giving lots of ideas of how you might choose to share a sensory story, but really handing it over to the person who is there sharing it with somebody to take the lead for it and just observe who they're with and follow follow their lead. So I started doing all of that way back in lockdown. And then, of course, children were at school and nursery a little bit, off a little bit, to and fro, and trying to film anything with young children around would be quite amusing and not go overly well. So actually, I've got a few videos that are just sitting there that I never ended up doing anything with. So you have... Good. sparked that within me again that actually maybe I need to figure out how to set up a YouTube channel and get some videos out there and I will try and get on that and I will let you know when it's done so that you can um, signpost people towards them. That would be so, so good. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> kickstart yes. six deal months and, and I know you, you do quite a bit of consultancy as well and you're um, you have a little group that you met that you attend every week yes, locally. So, yeah, as 60 little months, obviously I can support parents. I can, like you say, do some early consultancy work with practitioners. Um, yeah, I have a website, a Facebook and Instagram account where I just pop little tips and things there. And if I've got ideas of a group I might run next 
or something like that, I can pop that there. But equally, because I'm not part of a large franchise or another company, I'm just me with this 20 odd years of experience coming at it. And my idea behind 60 Little Mums is it comes with the professional's head, but the mother's heart. Because as a mum, I know even when you know all these things, in the middle of the night, you might think, oh, is this normal? I need to find out. And search the internet, having lots of information from lots of people. And I thought, you know what? It's really important that people have somewhere to go where they say, okay, this is the information. This is the evidence. This is why. But actually, it's also coming from a place of, as a mum, I understand without any judgment why that that might be difficult or why you're feeling this. So that was my idea behind 60 Little Mums. Uh, I think it's amazing. I think it's what you're doing. As I say, it's so aligned to what we're doing. Um, uh, you're right. You know, there's there's a lot of information out there. It's quite pick and mixy as well. Not as many things are are embedded in quality research. And that, for me, is... So, so with with turning little stones, we, we do not want to blind people with science. You know, we've mentioned schemas, for example. We're not about blinding people with science, but just enough to know that this is, this is centred on quality research and best practice. So anything that you take away from our podcasts um, and six little months and, and it, it's, it's, it's got its roots in something that there's a reason for yes. us to talk about. It's not this. just an idea that I've had. Exactly. It comes from a place exactly. of here's the research Here's the evidence, here's why. Now you take that and make it work for your family or your setting. Or... Which is kind of why we've got this second strand of delving a little deeper because there are people out there who, who do want a little bit more of the theory and that's fine, you know, but, but regardless, you know, we're, we're, we're putting that alongside. So that's great. It's really great. Let's get back to, to sensory uh, stories. Can you just, you, you, you did a flyaway comment before we started about the gingerbread man. I'd like to hear about that. Yes, and like I say, <laughs> when I was yeah, thinking about what stories I do, I look back at all of the old classic fairy tales I remember from, my, from when I was younger. Um, oh, the gingerbread man's a great one because obviously you've got that smell of ginger. You've got the dough that you can squish between your fingers and knead and maybe for some children just being able to hold the dough and manipulate it within their hand the whole time a story is happening is what they need that that distraction maybe or that something physical to do whilst uh, whilst the story is taking place and then you can obviously try some of the gingerbread if you go and bake it but there's so many different things, obviously, with a story like that. You've got, and again, there's many different versions of it, but you've got maybe the the woman, the man, the cow, the horse, the pig, the fox. There's so many different things. So then you can have the order of things. So if you want to take it further and create some play experiences afterwards, it's not just, oh, we spent a few minutes telling the story, now we're done. You could spend your entire day getting lost in it because then you've got animals out afterwards and you've got the footprints getting squashed into the dough and like I say all the different senses and the smells and if you're thinking about how the body moves and as they're in the water 
as the fox carries the gingerbread man across, actually, are you popping your feet in the water to feel that and experiencing something different? Are you running your fingers through grass or or one of your neighbours cutting grass outside right now? Let's go outside and smell it. You don't need to be confined to this story here right now. And obviously, if you're thinking about children in the early years or babies or people with special needs, if you think of somebody um, who is autistic or has autism or is on the spectrum, I know people like to be referred in different ways, whether you say somebody has autism, whether they are autistic. For a lot of people who are autistic, they're also quite monosensory. They can handle one sense at a time. So you don't want to chuck all of these things out in one moment of sensory story and it be overload. Too much stimulation, too many things. It's the whole thing of look at me and listen. Nope, you've you've gone too far now. Which one? Do you want me to look or do you want me to listen? So being able to offer these sensory experiences then gives that person a chance to actually explore one of them without being expected to get everything at once. So that this is lovely actually. So your your experience has been in inclusion. Yes. <laughs> um uh, and we've half mentioned we've alluded to the fact that it's a really tough time when parents and practitioners and carers just begin to notice that there may be something in their children's behaviours that may may be something to to need support for. Um, that's hard. It's tough for everyone. And the, in the UK, this is actually quite tricky because um, early years falls under health. <laughs> and when you're at school, you're in education. So often the 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 help and support can be accessed more simply and more straightforwardly when they're in education sorry teachers i'm not sure you agree but never mind but but you know from the perspective of early years that's absolutely true because in early years we're we're squidged in the middle we're under health but we're beginning to be early just educators so so we're we're just not able to access the same all-round support package for for these families. Um, so I've I've encountered um, well, still do a lot of settings where they have children who are very likely to be on the autistic spectrum mm -hmm. disorder. So they they are there, but they're needing to include them within yeah. the whole group. Um, how, I mean, I, I've seen things like little dens mm. sitting alongside a, a reading corner. Presumably, let's go back to the, um, let's go back to Gingerbread Man. You could have a, a, a child who needs to, who, who will struggle with sensory overload to just have some gingerbread dough and also be able to listen to the story, but be in a safe place. Yes. Yep. So... And I think that's when we need to come back to knowing the children that you're working with and actually whether they come with a diagnosis of anything or not, it's about meeting that individual child's needs in that moment and seeing them for who they are and what matters to them and what they need. And yeah, for some children, it can be something as simple as 
being in a tent and having that space that's just theirs or actually all of the noises going on within a, a preschool or nursery environment is a little bit much and trying to hear a story at the same time isn't going to work. So maybe even having headphones on and they don't even hear your voice because that's too much, but you have the resources out to share and they can they can see what's happening. Think you might actually be sharing this with somebody with a visual impairment or a hearing impairment and actually they're not going to hear the words of the story or they're not going to see any of the pictures. So then how lovely that you've got all these other senses you can draw on to share the story and the character and to build that excitement of discovering and exploring, but actually through what works for them. So to understand that for some children, being a little bit more removed is what's going to work or to not sit and to keep moving and pacing the room while the story's happening, that's what's going to work. And pitching it at the right time of day as well, because if <laughs> for anybody, including myself, if you're tired or hungry, nothing's going to make sense. <laughs> so those who are listening who think, okay, this is great, but I haven't got much time. I certainly haven't got much money at the moment. Um, I don't want to go and buy a lot of resources or, or, or you know, where can I start? Where can I start? And I completely understand that. I love story sack but they are not the cheapest things in the world. Um, a few different things that I've got, for example, I've gone for a walk in the woods before and collected twigs and leaves and pine cones because we're retelling Little Red Riding Hood and she goes in the woods. So I've just gathered things from there that I could use in that story. Um, just like I say, if you're talking about the weather you might have a hot water bottle or a water spray so you can feel the warmth of something or the waterfall on you or a really simple fan or a bit of card that you fold like a concertina to wave to feel the breeze. It doesn't have to be specific resources. It's just making the world accessible through a story and what is around you. So it's really simple in terms of if you want to start, take a really simple story. Just have a little look through and just think, is there anything that you would see, hear, smell, taste, feel? Just think through those things and just pick out a couple of bits of that that you could use in a story. And I think one of the most important things to bear in mind is although you want to tell this story and share it with the baby, the toddler, the child, the adult, whoever it is you're doing this with, it is about sharing it with them. And particularly if they're somebody who's nonverbal, you need to know what their nonverbal cues are when they're saying, stop, enough, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Because even a baby can turn their head and lift their little fist to let you know, this is too much now. Maybe just all that stimulation and sensory overload has got too much or... There's something in the story, they don't like the feel of something and they don't want to hold it anymore. So it's sharing the story with them, but actually just being mindful and observant. Are you enjoying this? Do you want to carry on in this moment? Do you want me to stop and move on to something else? Just making sure that that child is the one in control of the story and you're just there facilitating it for them 
so that they can have a wonderful time because absolutely everybody is entitled to experience stories. Perfect. And that's where we're at. Thank you so, so much for asking me to do this with you. This has been a real eye-opener for me, ear-opener for me as well. And I wish you could see the energy and the delight in Leanne's face um, as she communicates. She's clearly passionate about it. And I, for one, can't can't wait in my little group to to introduce some of these ideas. So thank you. Hopefully oh, thank we'll you so see much again. For having me on. I've loved this. And we will definitely point people to sixty little months, especially when you've got these videos. Yes, up. I will get myself sorted. <laughs> and we'll do that. <laughs> Take care.